Hello, and thank you for listening to the MicroBinFi podcast. Here, we will be discussing topics in microbial bioinformatics. We hope that we can give you some insights, tips, and tricks along the way. There is so much information we all know from working in the field, but nobody writes it down. There is no manual, and it's assumed you'll pick it up. We hope to fill in a few of these gaps. My co-hosts are Dr. Nabil Ali Khan and Dr. Andrew Page. I am Dr. Lee Katz. Both Andrew and Nabil work in the Quadrum Institute in Norwich, UK, where they work on microbes in food and the impact on human health. I work at Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and am an adjunct member at the University of Georgia in the US. Hello, and welcome to the MicroBinFi podcast. Today, we're doing a rapid roundup of the latest information you need to know about SARS-CoV-2. So today in the booth, we're joined by special guest, Leo Martins, who's head of phylogenomics at Quadrum Institute and our arborist in residence. And then there's always, you know, Lee, Andrew, and myself. And guess what? Everyone's working on SARS-CoV-2 now. <laughs> and so that's what we're talking about today. We'll be focusing on some of the latest and greatest resources available for SARS-CoV-2 analysis. So let's kick off with some with some news. Andrew, you had you ran into something interesting. Yeah, so I thought it'd be a very quiet week because a week ago, right, all the focus was on other things than than genomics. I thought, great, you know, we can actually get some work done in peace and quiet and everything be fine. You know, there's the vaccine wars only a week ago were kicking off. Late on a Friday night, the European Union drunkenly kind of wandered into this minefield of uh, Northern Ireland politics. And my God, the, if any Irish person had been anywhere near that, they would have told them that it was a, a very bad idea. But of course, didn't happen. Then, you know, there's a huge hoopla over all of that. And, you know, we had vaccine wars kicking off and great. But unfortunately, there has been a huge amount of uh, progress now in genomics and everyone wants genomics, SARS-CoV-2 genomes for all their work and everything is about variants. And my God, it's been a very busy week. So let's talk about just all the new resources and stuff that's come out just in the past week uh, or week or two, because it's been very, very busy. Yeah, it definitely seems like there's been a, a massive switch over to trying to capture these variants and track them as quickly as possible. I mean, I think we can kick off with the with the covariance.org page, which for me is super interesting. I mean, Emma Hodcroft is leading the chart on this one, but there's a lot of people who behind like the sort of next strain group and people from Jesaid and so on are contributing to this. This is covariance.org and we'll have a link to that in the show notes. But this is a very pretty website that just catalogs all of the different variants and all these different mutations. And you can go to each of the major ones and have a look at which mutations are there, what these mutations may be conferring, like what the previous literature said about these mutations. So, you know, this one might alter recognition of antibodies, or this one might change some some structure of the spike protein, or this might do something else. And so they've got a breakdown of all of the variants and then what all of those are possibly doing, which is excellent because now I don't have to look up every time my, my mom asks me, like, is this one more dangerous or not? I can just go here and just let up. Oh, this one does this. Yeah, this one is more effective or this one is more deadly or something like that. 
So it's an excellent thing to have a look at. I guess in truth, there's so many different variants out there, you know, thousands upon thousands. We don't know which ones are going to be a problem usually until uh, long after they've emerged and have spread everywhere. So websites like this do really help because it allows you to see the signals earlier. Yeah, and it's definitely once once one of these variants are flagged, they have a breakdown of these variants as they, you know, is distribution in per country or the distribution of the different variants in a country, which is all backed by the data that's coming into Gizade. And it's just graphing that for you. So you can quickly jump to see how quickly it's spreading once once there is one of interest on the website. And it's good to see now that lots of countries are now contributing more so than they had in the past. I don't know, were they hiding data away in, in the basement or if they just weren't doing sequencing, but it's good to see that there is more distribution around the world of sequencing because, you know, the UK is dominated a lot. And if you look at some of these signals, you might think, oh God, the, the UK is like the center of uh, death in the world, you know, and plague for COVID, but actually it's just they're the ones that, you know, doing most sequencing. And so a lot of stuff is biased towards them. Maybe there's also the case that some, some countries or some groups were worried about, you know, research parasites. So if you are the first to add data to the database, and then you feel that people are going to use the resource without proper acknowledgement. But now that you have so much data, I think you don't, right? The, the, the priorities change it. You're not so worried anymore about yeah, it's, it still is a big problem and people complain about it. I complain about it as well all the time. But, mm-hmm. well, you, you know, it's that trade-off for being really open and getting stuff out there quickly and, mm-hmm. you know, maybe getting scooped. It's mm-hmm. an unfortunate bit, but public health is more important than retrospective academic research and credit. So another uh, really cool report on in the same kind of uh, vein as the covariance stuff is Onya Tool has a, a fantastic uh, daily report on COV lineages. And so she's gone through the, the major variants of concern. So that would be, I'm not going to use the, the place names because that's super controversial, but you know, you have the B117, which is associated with United Kingdom originally. And then you have B1.351, which is associated originally with South Africa. And then you have P2, uh, sorry, P1, which is associated with Northern Brazil. So she's been tracking things like, say, passenger numbers out of countries, you know, during the, the time when that those lineages are expanding and, you know, what countries have been identified in. So you can kind of predict where, where are the holes in the world and which countries are probably most affected. So, you know, for a while there, there's one particular country, I think Poland, which had huge numbers of passengers from the UK, but zero recorded cases of the UK variant. And it's like, that, that that's a bit of a problem there. Clearly... The surveillance there hasn't uh, picked that up when it should be. And uh, you can see that with some data reports, it does give kind of an early warning and an indication of, of the spread. And it's quite interesting, so, you know, some of the places where these variants have been found, that the P1 has turned up in the Faroe Islands. Now, the Faroe Islands, if you don't know, are these teeny tiny little islands in the northern Atlantic, just kind of, mm-hmm. I suppose, north of Scotland. You know, that, that's how far away they are. And with a tiny, tiny population, the population of a town, more or less. And somehow they have a variant popping up there. But, you know, they've obviously got a strong surveillance system there that picked it up. Oh, just a stupid thing. I, I just learned that my geography sucks. And wow, Faroe Islands. But you actually pronounce it correctly. 
it's interesting because sometimes there's football matches, international football matches, you know, uh, between local countries, particularly in the run up to the World Cup. Now, Lee, you probably don't understand any of this as an American, but, you know, football is in soccer. So, yeah, there's occasionally football matches and, you know, you'll have England playing like fair islands and it's like a, a population of like, what, 60, 70 million versus a population of probably 50,000, you know, and it makes for a very, very uneven game. But, you know, they're, they're a country, so they, they get to be represented in that way. There's a joke from my university, Emory University, that our football team is undefeated. But they're, and that's American football. And there is no football team. <laughs> that's as much as I understand from football or American football or soccer or whatever you want to call it. It's like sequencing, you know, no sequencing. Sure, you've got no problems. So, yeah, I really like the, the cobbling to stuff from Anya. It's, I mean, it's her and the rest of the, the guys up in Edinburgh putting this together. It's fantastic stuff. So they've got, it's not just the spread of the lineages, but they've actually merged it with sort of anecdotal reports of it moving to, you know, people, reputable people uh, mentioning this stuff on Twitter or local newspapers or so on. And they've even pulled in, what the travel, sort of the number of passengers traveling from different countries, just because that data is available, who travels to where. Now, even if you don't know that the that a particular variant is in that country, it's quite likely that it's going to jump between countries that have a lot of passengers flying backwards and forwards. We, we're starting to get into this minority report thing where <laughs> we can pre-cog, like predict possibly where it's going to spread next because we're putting the aggregating all of this different information and it's presented really nicely a lot of these spots are the kind of things that you can just copy paste straight to the newspaper of what's going on and i think it was interesting to see for the b1351 was it that one that wasn't reported in the us and then it was reported like i first saw it on this website because this is just running automatically in the background, pulling in new genomes and just generating the figures. Is that uh, the Silicon Carolina one? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think it was the South Carolina one, yeah. That just flagged up on the website. That was the first place I saw it. So following on from that, there have been some recent updates to MicroReact. Now, MicroReact is, again, a, another visualization program that is showing you the tree and the timeline and the spatial positioning of all the different samples. And what's really interesting with it now is they've now got a sort of when you go to the SARS-CoV-2 section, there's simple links that jump out of all of the SARS-CoV-2 genomes out there. It immediately jumps to these new lineages of interest, new variants of interest. And then you can just see exactly how those are spreading on their own. So that was one of the new updates. So that's from Anthony Underwood and the rest of the guys at CGPS. And the other thing that they've changed recently is now they show the frequency of a particular lineage of the total number of samples there rather than just the absolute counts, because it's sort of like you wound up with this issue where you would see lineages sort of go dropping, but it's not actually dropping. It's just you don't have the, the same absolute count of sample numbers over time. And so it looked like the, the numbers were dropping, but it wasn't, and it needed to be kept as a sort of proportion of the total. So that's also been added now as, a, as an option. So both of those make it like really easy to jump straight to particular variants and see exactly what's going on really quickly. 
And of course, they get a, like a live data feed from Cog UK. So their data is usually more up to date than what you can get from JizAid. Now, they're not accessing secret data or anything. It's that's the data that's on the Cog website. It's just they're kind of pulling it in more regularly. And that's from uh, David Aronson's group. And it's, it's fantastic, really. They You can actually use this yourself as well. Like uh, with MicroReact, you can just kind of drag and drop in your, your trees and stuff and metadata, and it'll give you really pretty pictures. They've made that, you know, super easy. And it just works really, really well for uh, coronavirus. And I'm really impressed, actually, how it's scaled now to hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of genomes. We're, we're up to, what, nearly half a million now? Like, it, it's insane. Like, it's it's a lot. I think there's some pretty aggressive pruning in the tree or something just to make the... the rendering catch up on it but it's yeah it's, it's super intense if you open up the SARS-CoV-2 section and you've got the map you've got all of the pie charts of the different variants circles on all over the map you've got this sort of admixture thing at the bottom of all of the of the different variants as they're coming and going of the total samples the tree I mean this is the I don't remember in Contagion in the film if they had a nice little dashboard like that with all of these, like the the, the, the samples like kicking over, but it is very much like that. I think they only had like a floating piece of DNA, double helix or something. Or maybe they had a protein <laughs> structure like that, that was just constantly spinning. I can't remember. What you're saying is that MicroReact is great for doing these background pictures of scientists, right? Looking at, looking busy in front of a screen. Well, yeah, I mean, MicroReact has been featured with Heads of State now, I think. Number Is it heads the New of Zealand State. premiere? Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, New Zealand PMs had a had a, oh. had a look. I think the UK Prime Minister has also stood in front of it, but don't quote me that. I think he also has There's a few pictures of that. So, you know, it looks nice, but I think the most important thing is that they've changed aspects of it very quickly to adapt to this new life cycle now where we're pulling out individual variants and now you can you can not only just have pretty pictures but you can actually find out what you want yeah. to know very quickly so another thing that's arisen this week is different uh, variants of concern or lineages of concern uh, getting different mutations from other lineages of concern or them arising independently and it's now emerged that some people have made up special names for some of these mutations like n501y is now Nelly, as in Nelly the elephant. So that's the one that has that is present in the UK, in the South African and Brazilian lineages. In, in fact, all of the variants of concern. And then you also have Eek, which is E484K, which is another very interesting one. And actually, that, so that is in the B1.351, for, for originally discovered in South Africa, and also in P1 originally, and P2 from brazil and that i think is associated with some vaccines not maybe working as well as they should or they hope and that has now been found in the uk in uh, in our own homegrown uh, uk variant b117 which is quite interesting because these mutations are arising independently and unfortunately you're probably going to make things slightly worse so I've heard eek a couple of times and, and you explained it, but also it still went over my head. Can you say it one more time how eek got his na- its name? Eek is E484K. And when you kind of look at it written down, you think, oh, okay, yeah, that that is eek. I don't know if it's a thing in America, but in the UK, uh, people have personalized number plates 
and they have to have kind of letters and numbers in particular combinations. So people kind of make words out of these things, you know? That's the same thing as uh, with Doug Douglas and Dan? Yes. E614N. My God, now we need another list of all of the, the colloquial names for uh, these variants. <laughs> Yeah, so there is a, a few uh, really good useful resources out now. One of them is the Climb Arctic Workshop Online Resources. So that's like a course that is run for 133 people from like more than 30 countries. And it has, there, there's YouTube videos up, there's homework you can do and do assignments just to give you a kind of quick introduction into all that is how to analyze data, you know, that you, your Arctic sequencing data. So you've got really great people like Josh Quick, who developed Arctic, and you've got Onyo Tool and Verdi Hill, who've been developing Pangolin and Civet and Llama, and all the other people, you know, who, uh, Nick Lohman, it's just, a, it's like all the rock stars of the SARS-CoV-2 world have come together. And that's, that's super handy. And I know, Lee, you said you have some resources as well? Yeah, CDC recently came out with a... COVID-19 Genomic Epidemiology Toolkit. Several people were involved with it. Greg Armstrong and Nancy Chow, Shatavia Morrison, Mike Wigan. I'm going to stop reading names off the website, but it's a, it's a bunch of videos just explaining a nice primer and it, and it even helps epidemiologists get into it. Yeah, some of them are really nice. It's like, it's uh, straightforward stuff like how to read a phylogenetic tree, what the about the genome applications in Arizona it has here listed as well. So this looks like super good primer, especially for folks who haven't really dug into genomic epi that much to kind of, you know, try and get their head around it. So that, that's really nice. And I think if you put that together as a, as a primer for the workshop, which is more practical, the Climb Big Data workshop, then you're going to have, you will be able to press out some pretty well-rounded analysts pretty quickly with this sort of with these sort of resources i guess uh, training and all that hasn't caught up because all the people doing this you know it changes every week it seems but also all the people doing it are super busy coping with a million different samples coming through the door that they have to get out and analyze and whatnot and it's constant firefighting so you know sitting down for a few weeks to you know fine-tune a training course is going to be very difficult for for a lot of these experts so it's great that the resources are right there, but I'm sure things will get refined as, as we go along, you know, and we'll get more and more resources and it'll be more coordinated and more coherent. Yeah, I, I can see like a really nice set of materials that are that are popping up that, that we can probably synthesize together to make a nice, you know, big aggregate course for people to get in, introduced to it. So I've seen some PCR methods coming out, which just target the, or try and type the variants of concern that are currently concerning. And my first thought about that is that these are probably going to be out of date in a week or two, unless they are going to flip it over just to looking at uh, mutations of concern, like Nelly and Eek, rather than actually looking at the uh, lineages themselves. But then you lose the whole genomic epidemiology part of it. I guess you could also go to an extreme and only sequence part of the spike protein, you know, with Sanger sequencing or something like that. What are your thoughts on the Nabil? Yeah, it's, I think it's baby steps with this one. It's, I mean, we're coming from over Christmas using the spike gene target failure as the main way of detecting the B1.1 
0.7. So this and and that's a that's a real dirty hack of just of just seeing like oh the, the spike chain doesn't show up too well with this particular assay. So we're going to go back to go back to that data. So now we've got people coming up with protocols. They're putting it up on protocols IO. We're seeing some sharing. Maybe this might culminate in task force turning this around quickly, or maybe some new technologies that aren't so rigid and a bit more flexible. But this is this to me is like a great great first couple of steps that 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 there is an open community trying to get on top of this. And it does help, I suppose, countries which don't have the same resources. You know, PCR is a little bit more straightforward than genome sequencing. Yeah, definitely. I think that's always a consideration, always a problem that we're going to be using RT-PCR for a, for a very long time, for just as the primary tracking method in a lot of situations. Although I suppose Denmark have shown that if you really need to get a sequencing project off the ground, you can do it very, very quickly. And you can see Mads Albertson has uh, got a fantastic lab. It seems to be shoved into a teeny tiny little room, but they have about 20 or 30 minions running simultaneously, just wires everywhere, computers everywhere. And they are, you know, now like one of the top uh, countries in the world for generating genomes per head of population. Actually, they might be the top. And they're just doing an amazing job. And what they've been able to track now is genomics rather than just PCR. The, the percentage increase of B1.1.7. Obviously, Denmark is quite close to the UK physically, but there's a little bit of water in between, but a lot of passengers going back and forth. And that, I think, is a good proxy for what other European countries are, are facing because they're up to, what, 19% now? And you can kind of see it go, going up very, very rapidly, you know, 2%, 4%, and, and so on every week, and tracking that progress with just with genome sequencing. So there you go. Stop whinging and set up your your lab like Mads. Yeah, it's good to see that they're getting. I don't know if they're handing it over or if they're getting more support from SSI on this as well. So that's really going to formalize and and you know just amplify what what their efforts are, which is which is great. And I think just as a closing final bit of new development is Jizade has launched a CLI API submission tool something I got an email about the other day. Previously, if you wanted to put your genomes up on Gizade, you had to make this Excel sheet or CSV file and have all of your sequences in another little multi-faster file. And then you had to submit it to a web page. And it was good because you could do batches in one go. So, you know, you do a couple of hundred at a time, but it wasn't programmatic. It wasn't something that you could just have as you generated consensus sequences that you could just uh, flick it over to them. But now they have allowed an API to do exactly that. And that's going to be excellent for turnaround of, of genomic information. So all of the resources that we've been talking about, except for the PCR resource, is, is going to be that much faster at picking up what's going on because the data people will be able to submit the data that much easier. That's all the time we have for today. We've been just talking about some of the cutting-edge SARS-CoV-2 resources. And yeah, special thanks to Leo for joining us. And we'll see you all next time. Thank you all so much for listening to us at home. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and like us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or the platform of your choice. And if you don't like this podcast, please don't do anything. This podcast was recorded by the Microbial Bioinformatics Group and edited by Nick Waters. Thank you.
The opinions expressed here are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of CDC or the Quadrant Institute.